MacCast, Saturday, October 16th, 2021. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of Apple Mac News, tips, tricks, hints, and all that fun stuff. Hopefully you are having a wonderful week, day, whatever it might be. Um, I have to tell long-time listeners of the MacCast a little bit of change here at uh, MacCast HQ in the studios. Um, I am back in the OG studio, back in the closet, <laughs> having um, some little life changes happening here. And uh, we had to jigger th- rejigger some things around and uh, open up some space in the spare room I was using for my studio. So I'm back in uh, the original studio, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> it's a... Uh, little bit of a turn of events, uh, but it's nice to be kind of home. I'm I'm nice and cozy in here again. So just thought I'd share that little bit of news with you. Uh, as far as the Apple and Mac news goes, we have a lot of stuff to get into in this episode, including announcements of a new event. Yep, Apple is going to have their next event. We'll dig into what that is, what it's all about. Uh, we're going to talk about Mac shipments. Things are looking pretty good for Apple, at least right now. We're going to talk about Apple TV Plus and uh, piracy. They might have a little bit of a piracy problem. We'll dig into what that's all about. Uh, Apple Watch Series 7 is out. Uh, we're getting some of the reviews, and we have a little bit of information on that. And uh, HomePod uh, getting a new lead developer. And we'll talk about what that might mean for the future of HomePod. And that will round out the news for this week, and then we're going to get into some of your follow-up. I have a a number of items we've been talking about on past episodes of the MacCast that uh, you've given me your feedback on, so we'll dig into all of those. I also have a small uh, correction or adjustment from the last episode of the MacCast, something that was a little bit confusing. Um, Have a question about Apple TV and product placements that we're going to dive into, and then... uh, Faster backup drives, if you want your backups to be a little bit faster, I have a great recommendation from a listener. We'll dig in on that a little bit, and then we'll try and clear up some confusion with a new feature uh, that was released with iOS 15, and that will round out the show for this week. So it should be a good one. Let's just dive right into everything, starting with Apple's next big event. The invites went out. For Apple's next streamed event last Tuesday, and it's going to be simply called Unleashed. It will take place on Monday, October 18th at 10 a.m. Pacific from the Steve Jobs Theater and Apple Park campus. But once again, it is going to be a digital only event. So no press actually invited to the campus, at least not yet. Um, And yes, I did say Monday which is a little bit of a different day. Typically, Apple would do Tuesday. Tuesdays, I think, are most most common. They may do Wednesday. They may have done Wednesdays in the past. I'd have to go back and review things. But, you know, there it is. They're going to do a rare Monday event. Uh, so that is happening in just a couple days as we are recording this podcast. Uh, the expectation in the community is that Apple will use the event to unveil their next generation 
MacBook Pro models with the 14 inch, the new 14 inch size and an update to the 16 inch MacBook Pro, mainly pumping them up with new Apple M1 Silicon. Uh, the M1X is likely to be the naming convention for that. We've been talking about that for a little while. Just to refresh your memory on uh, all the updates we are expecting for these new models. Major new redesign overhaul with thinner bezels, larger displays, and a flatter edge geometry. So more matching the uh, design aesthetic that they brought to the iPad and the iPhone recently. Uh, we are expecting that updated M1X processor. That processor should have more cores than the original M1, both for the CPU and GPU. We're expecting a 10-core CPU with eight high-performance cores and two high-efficiency cores. And then on the GPU side, it's sounding like there's going to be options for either a 16-core or a 32-core GPU, depending upon your configuration. And then uh, big news on the M1X is they're going to give us more RAM, something that was a, com a complaint with the original M1 um, from some folks. Uh, RAM options could possibly go all the way up to 64 gigabytes. Uh, so that's good news all the way around. And then also on the design side, side the machines are expected to ditch the touch bar and uh, may bring back many of the popular ports that Apple took away, including the SD card slot, HDMI, and MagSafe. Now, since the announcements went out, we've also been getting some new rumors surfacing this week, including a little more details on what the display might look like. I think in previous rumors, we had been hearing that Apple will likely use a mini LED display, but what we are hearing now is that it's expected those displays will have a 120 hertz adaptive refresh rate or 120 hertz refresh rate. I'm assuming it's going to be adaptive, basically using the same technology that is in the iPad Pro display, the 12.9 inch display. As a matter of fact, display analyst Ross Young called it a, quote, scaled up version of the 12.9 inch iPad Pro display. I would assume that also means that Apple might use the same marketing convention of a liquid retina XDR display. Uh, as far as the RAM goes, we already talked about that being updated uh, to more RAM, but it's sounding like the base configuration of RAM is going to be 16 gigabytes and the base storage size uh, for the solid state uh, drive should be 512 gigabytes. So nice uh, base level configuration there. Um, we are also expecting these new machines to get the new 1080p FaceTime camera. So finally getting a 1080p FaceTime camera in our Macs. This would be similar to the update they did for the M1 iMac. And then speaking of that camera and that sort of large screen and thin bezels, there was kind of a late rumor. I'm not putting a lot of stock in this one, but it could happen. You know, if they are going edge to edge, it may be what they need to do to, uh, to fit that new 1080p camera in there. But uh, there's a rumor floating around there that the screen will have a notch. So uh, the bezel is basically going away, it being edge to edge on the display, uh, warranting that you need a little cutout for that new 1080p FaceTime camera. And they actually did some renderings of this. You know, for people who really hate the notch on the iPhone, I think it's even less of an issue on uh, a MacBook screen. You know, on a large screen, it looks totally fine to me. I think it will be a nice way to go because you actually get more screen real estate 
uh, across the top with that little notch coming out. Now, I could see it being a problem with uh, the design of the menu bar, especially if you have a lot of menu bar items. But, you know, if you do have that situation going on, uh, consider something like Bartender. I absolutely love Bartender. Um, I don't like my menu bar icons sort of extending way out into the middle of my display anyway. Um, I would think, though, too, with the notch, you might also run into some issues with menus. So that's why I'm not putting a lot of stock in this rumor. I, you know, it's going to probably cause too much of an issue with the actual uh, user interface of the operating system. So I don't think they could pull it off. I think they would just tuck it down a few pixels and uh, let it be up there at the top. But we'll have to see what they actually end up doing. Um, you know, are they going to go for having an even sort of bezel all the way around and minimizing that and then just having a notch? Or are they going to handle that in some other way? We'll have to just wait and see, but we won't have to wait very long. And then as far as how these new machines are expected to do, Wedbush analyst Daniel Ives is predicting that as many as one-third of all MacBook Pro owners could update to a new M1X MacBook Pro over the next year. That would be great news for Apple, assuming they can keep up with the supply chain. And I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. There is a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement, especially in the Pro community, about these new machines. So a lot of people, I think, have been holding off on their upgrades and waiting for these new machines to be released. And it sounds like they're going to be screaming awesome systems. And I know I am very excited uh, for this event on Monday. So speaking of a few other things that Apple could possibly announce uh, at the Monday event, they could use the event to also unveil the rumored upgrade to the AirPods. The third generation is expected to be coming along. We've been talking about that for a long time. Many thought it might Apple might have announced them at the last event they didn't um, so they could show up at this event and they are expected to be uh, much more from the design side like the airpod airpods pro with the smaller stems and a similar case design uh, but they would be lacking any of the pro features like active noise cancellation and then I would also assume Apple would likely use this event to unveil the actual launch date for macOS Monterey. Um, although something happened this week with respect to Monterey, it looks like one of the features that a lot of people are looking forward to may or may not be in there or might be in there as a beta feature, and that is universal control. This is a thing that allows you to control multiple Macs or iPads with the same keyboard and mouse at the same time where you can kind of drag between one screen and another and it will intelligently just know to reconnect to that uh, that device that mouse or um, trackpad or keyboard which is really really cool and um, I'm looking forward to that feature but it hasn't made it into even the 10th version of uh, the Monterey beta uh, although it looks like you can force it with a feature flag, uh, but when you do that, it has a beta label on it. So because of that label, many are thinking that Apple may release it in beta form, allow you to use it, but just know that it might be a little bit buggy uh, at at launch, and then they would try to refine it out. And this was something they did um, with another feature recently in in iOS or in yeah iOS and macOS, or I guess what's rather it's iCloud. Um, the new private relay feature is also currently, I believe, in beta. So 
that's what's going on there. And then there is an outside rumor, one last outside rumor that I think is not quite as likely, but mm, this possibly could happen. And that would be the addition of a new version of an M1 Mac Mini with an M1X processor. So sort of like a Mac Mini Pro. And that has been a rumor that's been floating around there for a while. So maybe Apple might take this opportunity uh, to, you know, announce the new M1X and then also say, hey, we're going to have a new top-end Mac Mini featuring the M1X, which would be amazing. I would love to see that happen. Um, But whether it happens at this event or not, um, I'm putting that at, you know, maybe a... 10% 10% chance in my book. But again, we'll have to wait and see. We are getting a Mac event and it could it's going to be very exciting regardless. But if they were to announce all of the things we just talked about, that would uh, would really blow me away. So looking forward to it. Uh, I bet you you are as well. And uh, that's kind of what's happening with the with the upcoming event. And speaking of Macs, uh, Mac shipments look like they are up, at least according to Canalis, who's published their most recent report on worldwide PC shipments covering the third quarter of the year. And things look good for not only Apple, but also the PC industry in general, although not going as well as it has been. The global PC market, they say, grew by 5% in the quarter uh, to 84.1 million shipments, Um, that is smaller than the past five quarters though, which all saw double digit growth. So they were having double digit growth and now we're just down to 5%. Uh, they say the number's a little bit smaller this quarter because of the worldwide supply chain issues. So basically just can't ship as many PCs right now. Apple has been able to stay ahead of that a little bit and their growth for the quarter does show it. The numbers for Mac shipments were up 14.4%, according to Canalis, and this was over the same quarter last year, with Canalis estimating that Apple sold 7.82 million Macs in the quarter, and I would imagine a lot of that growth being driven by Apple Silicon and the new M1 Macs. Now, those numbers also boosted Apple's market share from 8.5% last year to 9.3% this year, making Apple the fourth largest PC maker behind Lenovo, HP, and Dell. So speaking of those supply chain issues, if you are in the market for an iPhone 13 or an iPhone iPhone 13 Pro, uh, you better get on it sooner than later. That's because Apple is reportedly uh, getting hit with supply chain issues on iPhone components, specifically components from Broadcom and Texas Instruments, There's a report from Bloomberg this week that claims that despite wanting to produce about 90 million iPhone models in the back half of this year, that might not happen due to the component drought. Apple has reportedly told manufacturing partners that the 90 million goal is probably not going to happen and could drop by as much as 10 million units. So what that means for you and me is that the already slightly constrained iPhone 13 and iPhone 13 Pro supply is probably going to get even more constrained as we approach the end of the year and move into next year. So again, get your orders in now uh, because you might be waiting a while. And it's also likely that these chip shortages could impact those shiny new MacBook Pro models we're expecting Apple to announce on Monday. So I would also expect those 
units to be severely supply constrained. And if you want one of those models, you're going to have to probably jump on your pre-order as soon as you can. So hopefully Apple handles that uh, pretty well. But I would expect that when those models become available for pre-order, they're probably going to sell out very, very quickly. I ran across a great piece over at Mac Rumors this week. Uh, I will have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com if you want to check it out. Uh, but they were looking at the rise of piracy of Apple TV Plus's streaming content online. They went through and looked at a number of the popular torrent sites to see how many seeders uh, the shows were having. And they found that Apple's most popular shows and movies have at least 2,000 active seeders on each of the major piracy websites going up to as many as approximately 125,000 seeders in some cases. And as you might imagine, the more popular shows like The Morning Show, C and Ted Lasso are getting their <laughs> the majority share of the pirating. So uh, folks are going after those shows. The story notes that Apple is doing what it can to try and curb the piracy. They actually work with enforcement partners who flag illegal content and issue DMCA takedown orders for that pirated content. Uh, they note that through one such firm, Apple has issued as many as 320,000 DMCA requests, orders basically to Google uh, to remove listings and links and those sorts of things. And on August 16th, they had actually issued their highest number of requests in a single day at 8,500. Now, the piece also notes, however, that these requests seem to be doing very little to actually stem the tide of the, of the piracy. I actually look at the rise in piracy on Apple TV Plus shows as a good thing, believe it or not. Apple may not see it the same way. But to me, it means that these shows and the Apple TV Plus service is obviously getting more popular. I think that it also contributes to the buzz of these shows. Uh, you know, the fact that people want to go out and actually pirate them uh, means they're getting some good buzz and, and people really want to see them despite maybe not having an Apple TV Plus subscription. And honestly, I think more people are willing to get it the legal way when they're hearing this buzz and actually pay for the quality content rather than going on torrents and stealing it. I mean, to me, I've tried it. It's a giant pain in the butt. I don't think Apple TV Plus, in terms of its pricing, is overpriced at all at $4.99 a month. I think it's actually a really great deal for the quality of content you get. And again, Apple's shows just keep getting better and better. They keep adding more premium content. They're getting great movie content. Um, the Foundation series is incredible if you haven't checked it out yet. And they've got lots of great stuff still coming in the pipeline. And of course, you know, the new season of Ted Lasso and C and The Morning Show, those are all out. So I don't really see this piracy as a problem. All of the streaming services actually suffer from this. And Apple now being in that crowd means that, you know, they're just coming along. So to me, like I said, it's it's a good thing, but you may disagree with that. Let me know if you do, maccast at gmail.com. And speaking of new shows coming to Apple TV+, Plus, Apple TV Plus will premiere a new animated series based on Harriet the Spy on November 19th. The 10-episode series will actually launch with five episodes first available on the 19th, and then the remaining five episodes will launch in the spring of 2022, so they're going to have a split season. It is based on the children's novel of the same name, and it's being produced by 
the Jim Henson Company. Uh, that's a, a partnership that Apple has had since the early days of Apple TV+. Apple TV Plus has also given a straight-to-series order for a new comedy show starring Jason Siegel called Shrinking. It's a 10-episode series that focuses on Siegel's character, who is a grieving therapist who starts breaking the rules and telling his patients exactly what he thinks. What's cool is the show will have some key members of the team that also works on Ted Lasso, including series co-creator Bill Lawrence and Brett Goldstein. Yes, effing Roy Kent. <laughs> he is going to be in there. And I didn't know he starred as an actor, director, and writer, actually, on Ted Lasso, which is really, really cool. So Goldstein, Lawrence, and Siegel are all going to serve as writers on this new show, Shrinking. And Jason Siegel is also an executive producer as well. And then one new show that recently came to Apple TV Plus is doing very well. The Problem with Jon Stewart is now on Apple TV Plus. And it has already become the top unscripted series on the service, according to Entertainment Weekly. The bi-weekly show debuted on September 30th, and according to the publication, beat out the Oprah conversation to become the top the service's top unscripted series. I would say it probably helps that the show also marks Jon Stewart's return to television. Uh, a lot of people were waiting for him to come back, and the fact that he came back on Apple TV Plus is really cool. Again, I think it's going to be something that drives up Apple TV Plus subscriptions or maybe more or maybe more piracy. We'll have to wait and see. But again, either way, I think it's a good thing and lots of good things happening with Apple TV Plus. As you might know by now, the Apple Watch Series 7 is out and it's getting reviews and everyone says it's great. They love it as long as you're not looking for a lot of new features. The TLDR on it is that it's got a bigger screen and it charges a little faster than previous models. Now, if you use Apple's include, and that charging, by the way, is only if you use Apple's included puck, which apparently now is all aluminum versus the original plastic one. Now, of course, that's not everything that's in the Apple Watch Series 7, but those are kind of the big new features. There are more exclusives that are in the Apple Watch Series 7, uh, mainly things that are controlled by the software. There are a couple of new watch faces that take full advantage of that new larger display, including uh, pushing content all the way out to the edge. It actually kind of wraps around uh, the rounded edge of the display, which is pretty neat. Uh, there's a QWERTY, 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 <laughs> if I can say that word, QWERTY keyboard uh, that supports swipe typing. So uh, supposedly going to make it a little bit easier to maybe respond to a message on your Apple Watch. Although I still think on Apple Watch, voice is the way to go. Um, and the new Apple Watch Series 7 does come with an IP6X rating for dust resistance, Although I've been reading or hearing that this is mainly because it's the first time Apple has actually tested the watch for an IP6 dust rating. So there are odds that earlier models also have pretty good uh, dust resistance. And then there is a slightly brighter always-on display. So if you like to do the side glance of your Apple Watch with a Series 7, that's going to be a little bit easier. But the bottom line is that if you have a Series 6 or maybe even a Series 5, a relatively recent Apple Watch, uh, with this new one, you're probably not missing very much. I've heard a couple of reviewers re refer to it almost as an S series, almost like an 
Apple Watch Series 6S, which I think is an apt description. You know, that's not to knock the Series 7. It still is an amazing Apple Watch. Um, but earlier owners of watches, uh, you know, you don't have to have the FOMO. You know, don't feel feel like you're necessarily missing out by not upgrading. If you have something a little bit earlier, hey, this might be a nice time to upgrade uh, with the Series 7. And then just one other thing I, I saw a lot of the reviewers commenting on, and I think I generally agree with this comment as well, is that if you are considering a new entry-level watch, Um, and you want to get the most bang for your buck, you probably want to go with the Apple Watch SE versus the Series 3. So do yourself a favor, spend the extra, I think it's 80 bucks US, and just bump up to the Apple Watch SE. It's got a lot of additional features that are well worth that additional cost. If you're on a really, really tight budget, of course, the Series 3 is always there and available, and it's a nice option as well. But if you're looking to get the most value to feature uh, ratio or the best value to feature ratio, I would go with the uh, the Apple Watch SE. And then there was a small Apple Watch Series 7 launch day bug that impacted several popular third-party apps. Apps like Carrot Weather, Drafts, Fantastical, and PCalc were actually missing their icons right after launch. Uh, also, icons from those apps were getting cut off or not displaying properly in their complications. I first saw this reported on Twitter by PCALC's developer James Thompson, and the issue did seem to be because of app or because of vector icons. It basically impacted apps with vector icons. Apple's App Store team did quickly respond to the issue and pushed out updates for the apps that were impacted. If you still have apps that are affected on your Apple Watch Series 7, uh, you can just run your app updates again or manually remove them and re-add them to the app to get things all fixed up again. So um, nice launch for Apple Watch Series 7, but just a little bit of a hiccup right on launch day. And then finally in the news for this week, HomePod looks like it might be getting a little bit more love, or at least Apple might be getting a little bit more serious about competing in the smart speaker space, at least according to Bloomberg. They say that Apple has rehired an engineer, a Fruz family, who worked at the company from 2012 to 2016. Family had left Apple along with Apple design team member Christopher Stringer to co-found a speaker company called Sing, S-Y-N-G. At Sing, they created a very high-end speaker that they said was the world's first triphonic speaker, and it was focused on creating spatial audio experiences. I think Family had also worked on a lot of the spatial audio features that are in... um, in Apple's original HomePod as well. But they claim that their speaker, the Sing, was able to project sound around a room with, quote, pinpoint accuracy, creating the impression of specific sounds or instruments coming from distinct areas of the room. So that sounds like pretty cool tech. Wondering if they can bring that back into the HomePod. But family has been rehired, according to Bloomberg, and will be leading the software development team for HomePod and Apple TV. So maybe some exciting things to come there, and maybe we get some more HomePod products, which would be 
very, very interesting. We've been hearing about various things. I think we talked about uh, the rumors about a HomePod with a screen. I'm not so sure how I feel about that one. I'd, I, I'd hope they continue to just focus on audio. It'd be nice if they brought back a larger version. I still love my original HomePod, but it'd be great to see a HomePod version too, even though Apple officially, quote unquote, discontinued that product. But maybe this is a, maybe this is a change in Tide that is going to happen for HomePod. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple show sponsors, starting with LinkedIn Jobs. You know, today, many small business owners are busier than ever. The time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster. And best of all, it's free. You know, many of us use LinkedIn. It's actually the place for professional networking. It's also the place to find great candidates. I have LinkedIn to actually thank for my current job and my position at my current company because my company takes full advantage of LinkedIn jobs in their recruiting. It's how I found out about the company and got my position applied. It was awesome. And they've also hired amazing employees through LinkedIn. And you can do it for your business as well. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash maccast. That's linkedin.com slash maccast to post your job for free, terms and conditions apply. And a big thank you to LinkedIn for their support of the MacCast. And I also want to tell you about show sponsor Hunter Douglas. You know, who doesn't love to live well, to be perfectly at ease in comfort and style? Hunter Douglas can help you do that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced that they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Perhaps it's the way the shades diffuse harsh sunlight and cast a beautiful glow across the room, or being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Or maybe it's the superior insulation that shades provide, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, and lowering your utility bills. Or it's simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just right. And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. And what's awesome about the Hunter Douglas PowerView technology is it's HomeKit compatible. This means that you can easily integrate it with your Home app and your iOS devices on your Mac and with your HomePods. You can build automations to fully control your Hunter Douglas window shades. You can do it all with Siri. That is so cool. 
and so exciting. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoy greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit hunterdouglas.com slash maccast today to take advantage of the Season of Style Rebate Savings Event. That's hunterdouglas.com slash maccast for limited time savings. Offer expires December 6th, 2021. And a big thank you to Hunter Douglas for their support of the MacCast. One thing we talked about on the last episode of the MacCast, well, I had mentioned that uh, after getting my iPhone 13 Pro, I was noticing that occasionally I would have kind of dead spots in certain apps where basically touch gestures or uh, touch just didn't work in certain areas. And I would have to either uh, reboot the app or restart my device to get things back. But then I also kind of noticed it happening on my iPad Pro as well. So I started to wonder if these intermittent touch issues were more related to the iOS 15 software update. And so I threw it out to the community and said, am I the only one having these problems? Are other people noticing this? And multiple people in the community emailed me to say, yep, uh, it's happening to me too. Everybody was kind of raising their hand saying something is going on here. Basically, just parts of the interface go dead or unresponsive to any kind of gestures. And like I said, restarting uh, seems to fix things, but uh, you know, sometimes you have to hard reset or reboot the entire device. But it does seem to be happening since the release of iOS 15 and iPadOS 15, and it does seem to be happening on multiple generations and types of devices. So it does feel like it's something related to the software. Uh, I'm hoping Apple addresses it soon, or maybe they already have, because I don't think I have noticed the issue since updating to iOS 15.0.2. So maybe this last update kind of fixed it. Um, at least I haven't noticed it recently. If you're still having the issue after iOS 15.0.2, can you let me know about it? Shoot me an email, madcast at gmail.com. Just curious if Apple has actually patched this one. Another thing I asked about uh, on the last episode of the MacCast is we were doing a story about uh, pages, numbers, and Keynote. And I didn't know if they were still being... Apple was still referring that referring to that package or that set of applications as iWork. And uh, it turns out they actually are, believe it or not. Uh, Apple still has their iWork page at apple.com slash iWork up on their website. So I guess that is still the term for Apple's productivity suite. Although I had also asked in that episode, uh, what should we call it? You know, if it's not called iWork, what what should we refer to it as? And it was just because as I was doing the story, I didn't want to have to keep saying pages, numbers, and keynote, right? It's easier just to say one word that encompasses all those things. And so Paul wrote in with his suggestion, and he said, we should just call it pink, pages, numbers, keynote, (laughs) P-N-K. I thought that was brilliant. I almost want to call it that versus calling it iWork. What do you think? Should we just, you know, internally we'll have a little sort of inside MacCast term for iWork and we'll just call it pink and you'll know exactly what we're talking about anytime we do that. What do you think? Yeah, uh, we're not going to do that. We'll still call it iWork, but I, I still thought that was a great suggestion. So I wanted to share it. 
And then I also may have caused a little bit of confusion on the last episode of the MacCast on my segment covering some of the new accessibility features and options that were made available for AirPods and AirPods Pro with the firmware 4A400 update. Um, We talked about kind of two big features, one customizing and making adjustments to how transparency mode was working. Uh, You can actually kind of control uh, how the transparency mode works and, and sort of pinpoint in on someone's voice if you have trouble kind of hearing certain things, especially in noisy environments. You can actually tweak the amount of background noise uh, adjustment and stuff like that. So you can actually kind of turn that up. You know, normally transparency mode turns off all of the noise cancellation, but you can maybe filter out a little bit uh, by making those adjustments. And then two, uh, customizing the audio profile for things like music and media uh, for your AirPods using either a hearing test or actually Apple has a little built-in configuration wizard that you can go through uh, to kind of, uh, you know, evaluate where your hearing's at. And if you're like me and older, or like I have tinnitus, those things all affect my ability to hear. So I can go in and make the adjustments. I actually did it with a hearing test, an audiogram that I just then imported right into the accessibility settings. And music now sounds even better, and, and movies, on my AirPods for me, because it just brings up some tones that I have trouble hearing with my older ears. And so that's really, really cool. Um, And so we talked about those two features, but Bob wrote in uh, to point out that I had kind of inadvertently, inadvertently, inadvertently uh, made it sound like uh, the feature was available for all AirPods, specifically uh, the transparency options, Um, not really making the distinction that they would only work for AirPods Pro. And I'm sorry if that caused any confusion for anybody else, but yes, because transparency and noise cancellation are features that are unique to the AirPods Pro, that feature does only work with the AirPods Pro. But the other feature, the you know, doing the audio adjustments, that does work on all AirPods. And I think that's what I was trying to say, but maybe I caused a little bit of confusion in, in the process. So I wanted to just kind of clean that confusion up or take care of that. And then finally, one other thing we were talking about on the last episode of the MacCast, I think it was last episode, was Vincent had writ, wrote, written in uh, via email and he had the dreaded disk not ejected properly issue with an external Pegasus drive. And this is where um, drives just mysteriously eject themselves for some reason and uh, you don't really know why. And I had mentioned that I had been plagued by similar issues in the past and ultimately tracked it down to an issue with a USB hub that I had, basically a bad hub. But I also noted that bad cables could do it. There there are a lot of issues that could come up, a bad port, something like that. And so, uh, you know, Vincent went back and was checking all of those things, but none of that helped. And then Promise Technical Support actually finally got back to him and said, no, the issue actually is software-related, something probably in the latest Big Sur update. Now, I haven't been able to confirm this. I know I'm running the latest version of Big Sur, and I haven't run into this problem with any of my external drives, so I don't know how widespread this is. Um, But according to Promise, they claim that it has something to do with the drive not staying asleep. And I would assume this is when the put drives to sleep option in the energy settings is turned on. 
support told him it is something that the operating system controls and it's not controlled by Pegasus. Uh, so the issue must be happening when it's coming in and out of sleep mode, I would assume, maybe even when it's in power nap. Um, Vincent says he was able to actually fix it with a terminal command that changed the power saving settings for the Pegasus drive. And I know there is kind of a low level terminal command out there that you can run. So if you are suffering from this with your drives after updating to the latest version, uh, you might do a little bit of Googling to find out how you do that. But um, outside of that, I would just say, too, you know, I have run into problems with some of those energy saver features, specifically with external drives. So I usually go into my energy saver, which I think it's now in the battery settings uh, in Big Sur. So go into the battery settings and and for the power adapter options, I generally uncheck the option that says put hard disks to sleep when possible. So the hard disks don't go to sleep. Um, I don't know if that specifically might have ramifications for just the longevity. I think it actually is better not to have them going to sleep and waking up because then they're constantly kind of turning on and off more or less. But, you know, it's just a setting I've always turned off because I've run into issues with it in the past. And then the enable power nap when plugged into power adapter, I usually turn that off. So if I'm plugged into power, I don't need power nap kicking in. And again, I think that sometimes causes problems with things like external drives. So you might play around with those settings before you go to the more extreme uh, fix of actually uh, tweaking the terminal or tweaking commands with the terminal. But um, just wanted to follow up on that because it turned out for Vincent that it wasn't just, you know, cabling or some sort of issue with a hub. So if you have run into this problem or are hitting this problem with the latest Big Sur update, there's a couple more options of things that you can kind of look into. And I think it's always good, too, to reach out to the manufacturer's support just to see if they have something going on. Um, Maybe there's a firmware update or something else they can fix on their end. But uh, according to uh, Pegasus, this is something on the Apple side, and hopefully Apple will address it with a, a future software update. But those are all the things that I wanted to follow up on. Now, actually, uh, I want to talk about something that I have been hearing about related to Apple TV Plus and some of their shows. I've been hearing in the community that there are some people who feel that Apple TV Plus shows are kind of heavy handed about the way they do Apple product placements. And this conversation was actually triggered by an email that Josh sent me. He wrote in to comment that he felt that in the most recent uh, series or seasons of The Morning Show and Ted Lasso that Apple was specifically kind of being overzealous with their product placements. He said he specifically cited a scene and, uh, you know, if you care about spoilers in Ted Lasso, I don't think this is too big of a one, but I'm just going to give you a spoiler warning. He specifically cited a scene from Ted Lasso where Roy Kent says, Quote, hola Siri, I'm not going to say the word because I'll trigger my HomePod, but, uh, you know, the Siri command, play Keeley's playlist. And he says that that particular plug for him kind of broke the mood of the scene and just felt kind of overdone. And he also feels that, quote, there are very clear and long shots of various phones and devices you know, in these episodes, in these shows. And 
Josh is definitely not alone because I've seen these comments on Twitter and in other posts online. I've seen comments on other blogs and, and things related to Apple and the Mac. And oftentimes people are pointing out the use of Apple specific sounds or ringtones or alerts or prominent placement of Apple logos on laptops in a, in a scene where it just feels like it's very much done deliberately. And no doubt it, it probably is, but I'm just kind of curious if the entire community feels this way. Are you feeling this way with Apple TV shows? Because for me personally, I'm not going to say that I haven't noticed Apple products in these shows or Apple product placements in these shows, but I haven't felt that they're particularly egregious compared to other product placements I've seen in any kind of show. Um, I would say they're even less for me, but maybe I just, you know, I always notice Apple products and shows, but in Apple TV plus shows, I just expect them to be there. So I'm not really bothered by it and I haven't felt it's heavy handed. Um, you know, I think all shows that I watch, whether they're Apple shows or other shows in a contemporary setting these days, they feature cell phones and technology and tablets and all that sort of stuff. And they show them. And a lot of those shows have Apple technology and it's probably stuff that Apple's paid product placement for. But um, for Apple TV Plus shows, it it feels logical for me to expect to see Apple products in their shows. I mean, they're literally producing these shows. So I'm sure it's mandated in contracts that, you know, if, if they're using a phone or they're using a tablet or, or they're using a voice assistant or a, a voice activated speaker, that it needs to be an Apple one. And so it feels very natural. And in the real world, a lot of people use Apple products. So it just doesn't feel that off to me. I haven't felt that it feels especially heavy handed. I haven't really noticed anything like that. Um, when I see those long shots of an iPhone screen or an iPad screen, most often, at least for me, I think it's usually uh, messages is the app that they're showing. And a lot of times it's so you can actually read the text that's driving the story. Like you need to be able to see what's going on in the text messaging. They they do that a lot on Ted Lasso. So that doesn't feel heavy handed to me. Um, the noises and ringtones also seem appropriate for the most part. I mean, these are daily noises that we hear when we're out and about. Um, now, if they broke out Apple references in, uh, you know, period pieces or a future sci-fi drama like Seer Foundation, I might take issue with that. But as far as I know, I don't think that's happened in any of those series yet and hopefully will never happen. Um, the whole Ola Siri dialogue could have just as been easily in my mind been Alexa. I've seen that on shows. So, um, if it wasn't an Apple show, I mean, people, again, we use voice assistants and voice speakers. Now it's part of our culture. So it feels appropriate to kind of sprinkle that in, but I'm really curious. What do you think? I mean, it's obviously bothering Josh. Um, and I would imagine he's again, well, I know he's not alone, Josh, I know you're not alone. Uh, so I wanted to have this conversation. You had asked my opinion on it, so I'm sharing it with you. Um, I'll kind of keep an eye out and see if I think it's, it's getting worse or not, but you know, like mythic quest, I think they've done it in trying to think of some of the other shows where they've done these placements, obviously, you know, like you mentioned, uh, the morning show. But again, it, it seems like it's in shows that are correct for the time period and they're not doing anything weird or, in my mind, overly egregious. But 
I'll be curious to hear what the community thinks. And I'd love to get your audio comments on this. So if you want to send in a, you know, two to three minute audio comment, I would love to share that on a future episode of the MacCast. MacCast at gmail.com. I don't think we've talked about backup stuff in a while. Um, Longtime listeners of the show know that I am a fanatic about backup. I think it's very, very important. I think a lot of people don't do it and don't uh, consider the importance of it until they have an issue. I often get emails in this community uh, asking me for recommendations on recovery software or recovery services. And those are the emails that I absolutely hate the most because you can really go out and get a relatively inexpensive hard drive around a hundred bucks and use time machine and back up your drive or better yet use a cloning software like super duper or carbon copy cloner and have a bootable backup drive uh, for your system. And I have to admit, you know, when I'm out picking a drive for my cloned backups, I don't go much further into that research other than looking for a Seagate or a Western digital drive. I usually get a 2.5 inch mobile drive, uh, external drive, USB-C these days, uh, and just try and find, you know, what's ever available at the best price. I really don't put much more thought into it than that. But I found out this week that maybe I should because I got an email from Andy who pointed out that if you care about how long your backups actually take, a better drive, or more specifically, a faster drive can make a huge difference. Now, I would imagine ideally going with SSD would be what you want to do, but solid state drives, they're not really that cost effective on a dollar per gigabyte basis. And that's usually what I'm looking for when I want a backup drive, right? This is just cheap storage or inexpensive storage uh, that is going to save my bacon should I have a problem. And I'm running everything on automation. I'm doing it at night when I'm not using my machine. So doesn't really bother me if it takes, you know, a long time overnight to back up my system. But that said, you know, maybe paying a little bit more for a 7200 RPM desktop drive and not just going with the cheaper 5400 RPM drives could yield some better results. And that's sort of, that's exactly what Andy was noticing and commenting on. Um, He says he ended up buying an Oyen Digital Novus four terabyte external USB-C drive, and he saw his backup speeds improve 10x, so 10 times faster than the little cheap 2.5-inch drives, um, mobile drives. Now, upping your speed will cost you. Uh, It looks like buy as much as 30 to 50% more in terms of your cost per gigabyte. So you have to weigh if you're need for speed outweighs your budget or not. Um, But where a lot of this recommendation is coming from is from the creators of Carbon Copy Cloner, Bombic Software. And I have a link to an article in the show notes at metcast.com where they go into their recommended drives uh, for use with their software. And they're basically recommending that you do not use uh, the the cheap 
mobile drives, the drives that I've actually been using, again, with Carbon Copy Cloner. They say if you're going to do that, they only recommend them for data-only backups and not for bootable backups. And even there, they recommend that you format them as HFS+, Plus, um, basically Apple's older format, rather than the new APFS format. Uh, they say that performance of APFS drives on 5,400 RPM spinning drives is, quote, unacceptably poor. And so they don't recommend using them for that. Uh, I'll have to go back and review. My drives probably are formatted in HFS+. Plus. I've probably never reformatted them because they've just been my backup drives for forever. Um, so maybe I would feel different about this if it was uh, formatted in that format. Um, but really my issue with the 7,200 RPM drives is that for most, if not all, they are desktop drives, which means that they're larger, they take up more space, and they require an external power supply, which is a lot less convenient. And they usually have big power bricks. And, you know, I've already got so many things plugged into power with my computer setup. I just don't want more. I want to be able to just plug in a bus powered drive and be able to use it. And it's worked for me so far. Um, so again, great conversation to have. If, if performance is your thing, you probably definitely want to use 7,200 RPM drives. Definitely check out the Bombic article um, because it has some great recommendations for drives. And what's really cool about this whole conversation is, and I have to thank Andy for this, I was not familiar with the Oyen Digital line of products. I'll have a link to their website in the show notes at maccast.com. Um, but it looks like they make some really nice professional storage products. Um, and they're fairly reasonably priced. They're not that much more expensive than kind of some of the cheapies that I've been buying. So um, I might buy more of their products. And if, you know, if, if uh, Bombic is recommending them, you know, I really trust the developers of Carbon Copy Cloner. I mean, they know backups and hard drives and that sort of stuff inside out because it's directly related to their business and their software. So some great recommendations there. Thank you, Andy, for bringing up this conversation. Um, I'd love to know from the community too, have you experienced this? Have you experienced issues with your backups and 5,400 RPM drives that are formatted with APFS and just being incredibly slow? And has it caused problems for you? Uh, or are you like me and have not really noticed any issues, but now are wondering if you have issues that you don't even realize you know that can happen too because again my backup regimen is sort of set it and forget it which is i think how you want your backup regimen to, to be but maybe i need to look at it a little bit more closely so again thank you andy for your email and i definitely appreciate it and then the last thing that i have for you uh in the show for today is a little bit of a interesting story it's kind of a funny story about a new feature in iOS 15. Bob emailed in and he had kind of a funny situation happen. What happened was that he and his wife actually share an Apple ID. And after updating their devices to iOS 15, he noticed that he was working on his iPad. His wife had left to go run an errand. And then while she was out, Bob got a notification on his iPad that it was set to driving. So even though he wasn't moving, he was probably sitting in his living room on the couch, uh, his iPad was saying, hey, you're driving. He obviously wasn't, but his wife was. And what was going on was Bob was experiencing 
the new focus feature that's in iOS 15. And so uh, when you go into a focus mode, um, a little alert or a little drop down will kind of come up on your device. And I think there's even a special icon that kind of appears for the the different modes. And focus modes, if you don't know what they are, these are really, really cool ways of uh, adapting or uh, doing a new take on the do not disturb while driving feature. So do not disturb while driving is now actually a focus, but you can actually now set up your own focuses and create all kinds of focuses for different things. And these are all set up and edited by going into the settings and there's a new focus area. And within an individual focus, so you can add a focus or you can edit some of the default ones that Apple has set up for you. And again, uh, do not disturb. And I think uh, driving focus are are two that are already pre-set up. I think there's also one for work and for personal. So they kind of give you four. Um, only I think only do not disturb and driving are turned on. And I think driving is only turned on if you had previously turned on or enabled do not disturb while driving. Um, but within a focus, you can do a number of really interesting things. Now you can set up which people and which apps are allowed to send you notifications. And then any app or person that's not in that list, when you're in that focus mode, won't be able to uh, send you notifications. So now when you come out of that focus mode, all those, all those notifications will, will come in after that. And then you can see and respond to those things. So it's a great way to kind of just narrow down the noise um, and <laughs> pardon the pun, but focus on your current task at hand. Um, Some other cool things you can do with focuses is you can set up custom home screen layouts when you're in that focus mode. So you can only see certain home screens, certain apps that are set up to be related directly to that focus. So there's a lot of cool and interesting things you can do there with that. Um, You can schedule your focus modes and base them on automations or events. So, you know, when you get to work, you could have it automatically based on your geolocation, automatically switch into your work focus mode. When you get home, have it automatically switch back to your personal focus mode. So that's pretty cool. And then finally, you can share your focus modes across your devices. And this is where Bob ran into a little bit of trouble because he had the do not disturb while driving on and it's now the driving focus and it kicks in when you start driving and the syncing across your devices is all controlled by your iCloud account. And so since he and his wife were sharing an Apple ID, it did its thing and said, hey, you must be driving. So I'm going to turn on your driving focus mode. And it turned it on for all his devices, including his iPad that he was working on sitting at home. And so uh, that's exactly what was going on. Uh, The fix for this, luckily, is pretty simple. You just have to turn off the share across devices option in focus. So go to settings, go to focus and just turn off share across devices and probably just want to do it on your wife's devices so that you could use it for your devices. Uh, You could do that or just have her get her own Apple ID. And I know that's a little bit more complicated than just saying that because my wife and I also share an Apple ID, uh, not an iCloud account, but just an Apple ID for like our purchases and stuff like that because of the fact that it's very hard to split that out once you've kind of gone down that path. And I think we've talked about that in past episodes of the MacCast, but we're really getting close to um, 
actually even breaking that chain now that Apple has kind of cleaned up some of the family sharing issues that were there early on. So if I do end up doing that, I will definitely um, share that with the community here, my experience with that on a future episode of the MacCast. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Uh, before I leave you, I do want to mention, and I mentioned this in the last MacCast, if you are willing to help me out, we are doing a listener survey uh, just to learn a little bit more about our community to help us kind of do a better job with our advertising, make sure that we are getting the right sponsors and stuff that's relevant to you. Um, it, the survey is at mac.com at that's m-a-c-c dot a-t slash m-c survey m-c survey so mac dot at slash m-c survey if you can take a minute just takes a few minutes a few questions fill out that survey you can uh, take it completely anonymously you don't have to give us any info And any info collected is going to be used in aggregate, so it's not going to be identifiable. We're not going to use any identifying information. Um, And uh, it will help us, again, better tailor and customize our advertising. If you are okay with providing your email address, uh, we are going to be giving away randomly some $50 Amazon gift cards to folks who take the survey. That email will only be used to contact you should you uh, get one of those gift cards and won't be used for any other purpose. It won't be shared with advertisers, nothing like that. It's completely internal. So totally up to you. Take it anonymously. Give us your email if you want to be eligible for that $50 Amazon gift card. And I would really appreciate it. Um, The more people we can get taking that survey, the the better kind of view of what the community profile looks like we are going to have. So thanks in advance for doing that if you choose to do it uh but with that uh before i leave you i do want to take a moment and thank my show sponsor smile makers of text expander you can get more information and details on text expander by visiting textexpander.com slash podcast bandwidth for the maccast is provided by cashfly you can find them at c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com and all advertising on the maccast is handled by backbeat media they are at backbeatmedia.com As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can also check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, MacCast on Instagram. But with that, that's going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.